Welcome everybody in. Welcome everybody in to the week six edition of Total Coverage. Rest already. We already are week six. Can't even believe that. But man, a great show, great show that I have for you today. We're going to be diving into a couple things that caught my eye from this weekend's games. And obviously, we always do, like we always do, every single week, we'll talk about the hows and the whys behind the weekend's biggest results. Why did that guy go over 100 yards? Where did my defense come from? We haven't played like this. And what about some of these quarterbacks that played very pedestrian. We'll get into all of that. As always, you can find the podcast on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe, total coverage. I want to hear from you. Always, you can reach me at Twitter at Kirk Morrison, Instagram at Kirk Morrison. Love to hear your thoughts. Love to hear um, just some of the football things that you see that maybe I may have missed from the weekend's action in the NFL. But Man, I've got a treat for you all today, Uh, a treat of mine for a guy who I've worked with before, but I've never had the opportunity to try to tackle him. And I still won't be able to do that, but still to stand up next to this man and realize you're not supposed to be a running back. Yet he was one of the great running backs, not only in college, in the NFL. It's the Heisman Trophy winner, the great Eddie George, Eddie, man, I'm so excited to have you on the Total Coverage podcast. I couldn't sleep last night because I've talked to you so many times before. You know, we've done we've worked uh, together on college football, the NFL. But yet when I get a chance to have a guy of your caliber, the player that you were, I get excited because I want to dive deeper into what not only made you great, but now watching some of the younger players in the league and what makes them great. So it's an honor not only to have you, but just to get some of your knowledge today, Eddie. But so but thank you for joining the pod today. Absolutely, brother. I I want to start with this, because when you looked at your career. You were mm-hmm. considered a what? A big back. Yeah. You weren't one of those little. You weren't one of them little scat backs, right? You nah, weren't one of them little nah. dudes that just played third down. You were a bigger back, but you played uh, every down. You had hands out of the back. You caught the football. You did everything. So, at what point was it? High school? Was it college? When did you realize, like, okay, my style or the way I run is going to be different than what maybe most people are used to or accustomed to just of how big I am. Well, that's hey man. Thank you. First of all, for the, the comments that, that this <laughs> warms my heart, especially now that I'm getting up in age and, you know, it just feel, it feels good to be loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but honestly, Kirk, it's, um, uh, I, th- I would say it was at Ohio state that, I I knew my 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 best attribute was my size was my mm-hmm. physicality in between the tackles. Um, I knew that I was a tough a tough get in between the tackles when it came to linebackers and defensive backs to opposing safeties. My my thing was I wanted to be a the complete running back a, a back that can block that can catch out the backfield that uh, had value every time I touched the field and I can make people miss. I could run over you and I could play a chess match with defenders because initially they're going to think I'm going to try to run over you every single time. Well, I'm going to do that in the first quarter and the first half to set up for my longer runs and to take over in the fourth quarter because back in, back in the early nineties and two thousands, 
the running back was used. He got the ball 35 times a game. You had to have one guy. It was always that one special guy. So I studied guys like Thurman Thomas and Emmitt mm. Smith and uh, Barry Sanders to see how they how they were able to elude defenders in open space. But then I also studied guys like Walter Payton and Earl Campbell to deliver the punishment to opposing defenders, especially for those defensive backs early in the game <laughs> to question their heart. Like, OK, do you really want to do this? This is going to be like this for 60 minutes and it's going to get worse, you know. So yeah. it's just like that constant, the constant body blow. So that's that's kind of what was my philosophy. Um, I took ballet lessons to work on my flexibility, to work on my agility, to be uh, more elusive. Uh, so it was, it was definitely a work in progress for me. Did you ever have that, um, you know, the kind of talk within your head that sometimes because I think that bigger backs or guys who have the size tend to think that, oh, well, I still got some wiggle. I want to show you I got some wiggle. Like You could throw me out on the outside. Yeah. Give me yeah. a toss play here or there. Give me something on the perimeter that I'm not just running in between the tackles. Was that something that you also kind of professed to your offensive coordinator to give me some some versatility within the yeah. running game? Yeah, yeah. I think that's important, you know, just to kind of to show that you can hit the edge, that you're not just in between the tackles running because with that, you, be, you become predictable. You know, you say, okay, as a defense, you say, you know he's not going to go to the outside. You know that he doesn't have the, the, the speed to get to the outside or have a threat to be the outside. So we're going to slow play it, let the boundary be our second defender, and force him back inside and have him get a minimal gain or so forth. So I, I was well aware of that, and I worked on those, those weaknesses uh, early in my career to say, hey, you know, I may not take it 90 to the outside, but I can <laughs> pick up a first down or take it 40 yards and get a big game, you know, uh, by, by needing to do that. So it was important for me to work on that part of my game. Well, you said it, not me. You said taking it 90. <laughs> and what I'm saying, taking it 90, because you got a guy down there yeah. in Nashville with the Houston, I mean, I'm sorry, with the uh, with the Tennessee T Titans. Titans. I was going back to your old team when you was the hey, Houston it's Oilers. Just, <laughs> hey, it's, it's all good. Same organization. It's, good. it's the same organization. Yeah. Houston yeah, Oilers, yeah. Tennessee Titans, but – Man, you get a chance to see Derrick Henry week in and week out, and now mm -hmm. he's making these 90-plus yard runs like it's routine. But outside of that, what have you seen from Derrick Henry? And I know i got so many questions to ask you, but just, just your initial mm -hmm. thoughts on Derrick since you've seen him since he was just a little rookie, like a babe, people think yeah. people forget he's been in the league about five years. It ain't like right, he just right. got here. This he's is, been here for right. five he's years. He's been here for a while. He's, he, I mean, right. he won the Heisman Trophy in 2015. Yeah. So he sat behind, you know, he paid he paid his due, sat behind uh, DeMarco Murray for two years. And what people don't realize is that he's he's always been a home run hitter. Right. Always been a home run hitter. You go back, you look at his top. His top 10 longest runs, he has a 74-yarder under his belt, a 53-yarder under his belt, a 99-yard run, obviously, uh, nine, just recently. So people are surprised. Oh, my God, he's, he's, he's done it at Alabama. He did it in high right. school. This is nothing new. I think where he, where he perfected his game was being more patient. You know, most home mm -hmm. run hitters are always going to try to go to the outside and score a touchdown, <laughs> right? So yep, exactly he had right. to dial it back to say, okay, I got to be able to begin consistent in between the tackles, turn out the hard two, turn out the hard five, you know, use the body blow approach, 
and then let them know that, ooh, I don't want to necessarily hit this guy again in between the tackles. So as a defensive back, I'm going to take my chances of allowing him to get to the outside and try to catch it from behind. Well, guess what? That ain't happening. Because mm. when he breaks, he's gone. And he puts a lot of pressure on the defense to be uh, disciplined in their fits for four quarters. You've got to be perfect, immaculate in terms mm. of your run fits. Because the moment that you break, the moment that you are not disciplined, you're out of position or you miss a tackle, it's 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 over. He's going to obliterate the opposing defense, and then, and we're seeing that. Yeah, I, I want to get back to uh, Derek in a second, but I w- I want to get your thoughts on this and and help me out here. For me, as a former linebacker, if I'm going into a game uh, against the the Oilers or, or the Titans, mm-hmm. we got to stop number twenty seven. We got to stop Eddie George. So we're going to put eight nine men in the box, Eddie. We're going mm-hmm. to force you guys to have to throw it. Mm-hmm. But then if you got a stubborn head coach and say, I don't care if they got eight, nine men right. in the box, right. we are still going to run it. So I know this is a mindset that Derek has to have now, but what is the mindset for a running back knowing that they're going to see eight and nine man fronts? Because yeah. in today's in- analytical NFL, that's a loaded box. We got to throw it. We got to audible out of that. Right. But what happens if they right. say, hey, no, let's stick with it. What, what's the mindset of going against eight, nine men boxes? The, not, the mindset of uh, eight, nine men block boxes is this. Um, as a running back, that's your guy. The unblocked safety is your guy. And you hunt him. Oh. You hunt him. <laughs> oh. That's it. You hunt him. That's and you it. hunt him early and often. Because if he's that last line of defense, if he's the unblocked guy, and you punish him, you punish him consistently, then eventually he's going to make a way to get out. He's going to find some way to get, not to make the tackle, find a way to get blocked, find a way to turn it down. And you test his will early. And the moment you see the hands on the hip, hands on the head, or do this, he's coming out and you got him. So, you know, knowing that with the Titans, and we didn't have the luxury of having, I didn't have a, a thousand yard receiver. Right. I didn't have a Titan that could, stress the field you know it, the offense ran through the running game and i was getting the 30 and 30 out so that was the mentality that hey my, my coach said hey the unblocked guy is yours deal with him accordingly and uh that was my, my game plan was to punish and to take him deep into the fourth quarter and um and let our wills uh match at that point in time sometimes it worked sometimes it did so <laughs> you know but that that was the mentality you mentioned the word patience, and I've seen that from Derek. You, you, you've talked about it. I watched your game. How do you develop that patience, though? Because mm-hmm. you mentioned that a lot of these guys want to be home run hitters. They're trying to – everything wants to go to the outside. And, look, I watched the college game, and I've seen guys literally get a, a inside zone handoff and run straight to the sideline. Like, you, you that's not how you do yeah. it. You break through yeah. the first line of defense, then you go to the outside. So wh- where did you learn that patience at? Well, the offenses were designed for and allowed us to be patient. Nowadays, with these offenses, it's about, um, you know, getting speed and space, forcing a defense to defend every blade of grass. And uh, everything is designed to be speed, quick, and to hit the outside and go to the perimeter and hit the inside and so forth and uh, read option passes and all of that stuff. So it's... um I think the offenses take that away from the running back because you can't be patient in the game. It's always about speed. So you want to get a lot of guys that are going to be undisciplined with that approach. And I think, you know, in the case with Derek, 
he had to realize and understand that you got time. You got time to set it up. You know, you're the back, you're a running back that's getting uh, the only running back in the NFL that's carrying it 25 times a game. So as for me, I, the offense allowed for me to do that. So if I was getting two yards a clip in the first quarter, it was okay. I'm not going to get frustrated. Right. I know that as the game goes on, I'm going, those, those longer runs are going to come and it, it will increase in time. What does he tell his offensive line? Right. Cause I look at you guys because it's a similar running style. Mm-hmm. Right. So what did you tell your offensive line? Like what, what's the chemistry that you have to have or what's talked about in the huddle or at practice when they're blocking? Because obviously they're not always going to be perfect in their blocks. Yeah. And sometimes you got to make them perfect. So what's that that communication between running back and offensive line? Well, it's a unique relationship. And and it's one that that I advise every running back to have, and it's understanding that you've got to uh, pamper them, you've got <laughs> to uh, take care of them, you have to treat them, make sure they're well fed, uh, show your appreciation, get to know every one of them, um, what they like, what they don't like. Uh, I, I pampered my offensive linemen, and I bought them gifts at the end of the year. We reached certain milestones, we set goals together, and that's what Derek is doing. He understands how each one of them operate. He knows their weaknesses, their strengths, and he knows um, how to get them going. And I, I believe that relationship is saying, hey, you know, if the offensive lineman said, hey, he's playing hard to the inside on this particular play, so think about, you know, pressing the hole a little bit longer than bouncing it outside and understand you can cut it back underneath because I'm going to come off and get that linebacker scraping over the top. So those are the things that, you know, those are conversations you're going to have. It's that building that rapport, building that relationship, and even to the point where we watched film together, you know, we watched nine on seven together. We watched um, uh, tape together of opposing teams just to understand what they're thinking. Like Bruce Matthews uh, <laughs> led some of those uh, meetings and said, hey, two seven this week, I'm going to be a little bit longer. I'm going to stay on Sarah Goose a little bit longer because he's a little bit heavy. I'm going to help Benji out and then expected me to come off late. So. If you see the linebacker in the hole, don't get spooked. Continue to press it and understand it's come off my butt tight uh, if I can get off. If not, deal with them. So those are the conversations that we had. Mm. Man, if it wasn't for that darn toe injury, right, man, how many more uh, years would you have got in? I know we've talked about it before, but. Uh, yeah, well, you that- know, well, you know, Kirk, it wasn't necessarily the toe. I, I bounced back from it. Um, mm-hmm. It was just the, the, I guess the. Father time. Um, mm-hmm. It was the will to want to do that and play the type that type of way. You know, again, uh, never missed a game due to injury. Uh, right. Played every single game, and my style of play, how I had to play, it just wasn't it wasn't sustainable. Um, I needed, you know, some help on the outside so I can say, okay, I can just get in and get out when I need to. So. Um, it was just, it was just time. It was time for me to move on. And I, and I was okay with that. Um, uh, during my time, I, I left everything I had on the field. I, I didn't want right. to go from team to team just to get, you know, 400 yards this year or 300 yards the following where, and, and it, it's for what, you know, um, uh, right. I, I, I can win a championship, but it's not going to be the same, you know, at that point it's, me holding on as much as I can and, you know, getting paid the minimum. And there's not much joy in that for me. So um, I wanted to, I wanted to move on and and do some other things. 
Yeah, because I think now, you know, Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Titans, he's got a decision to make because, look, I, I know they paid Derek, and obviously you're going to yeah. run him. But do do you necessarily run him into the ground, right? Like, what what's that 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 number that says you know what we want to be effective during the season, but honestly we may need we need him in the in, in late in the season we need him right in December in in January I don't want to run this guy down so Eddie I know you went through that through through your career. Is is there a, a a time where you say you want to scale back a little bit from the cup from uh from from running the football as much or is it you know what if you're gonna give me 300 carries I got to go with the 300 carries or if it's 400 carries I just don't want to see the running back wear down because I've seen it with other backs you know recently in the NFL that they take on this this big load and they've never the same when they had those big productive years. Well, I wish you I, I wish I could say there is a certain chemistry or a certain number there is a, a formula for this um but you've got to ride the the hot hand and you mm. can't say well let's take him out the game here and start playing games because you're messing with the chemistry the flow of it you just got to trust the fact that hey you know at this particular time he's dominating things are working well we're going to do what we do okay you can't worry about three, four years from now because you'll miss out on the opportunity that's right in front of you. And they have a small window. The Titans are 5-0. and They are playing balanced football. The best football that I've seen offensively here uh, since ever is the best mm-hmm. offense. They have a three-headed monster. You know, Tannehill is playing MVP status football. He's not making right. great mistakes. He's, he's beating you in the pocket. He's beating you outside the pocket. Derek is running the football. They have great weapons on the outside. Um, and Derek He's a big part of this offense. He's the one that's making it go. So to try to limit that and say, okay, we got to, you know, get a pitch count or all of that, you're in danger of messing with the flow. And lo and behold, you know, you'll wind up losing the game. You have no business losing in the playoffs, then it's over. Then you have to reset for the following year. So you got to, you can't necessarily worry about the end result, you have to maximize the opportunities while you have them right now. So I would say, hell, load the boy up and get him going. <laughs> you know, he wants yeah. the ball and that he's yeah. used to it. So, and Derek is relatively young, like you yes. talked about five years mm-hmm. in the league, but really two and a half, three years of playing real football. You know, you mentioned Ryan Tannehill, right? He's playing at just unbelievable. Like you mentioned, you watch his numbers now. Is, is that because of the running game though? Because I thought last year it was they rode Derek. Now it seems that they're riding Derek, and Derek's getting big yards. But now it's opening up that offense for what Ryan Tannehill we think should have been for his entire career. We're starting to see that now. Without play action last week against the Texans, Ryan Tannehill went 21 for 25 for 222 yards. Without play action. So – you, you think about the effect of Derek Cameron play action. Yeah, that's going to be a big part of it. But now he's making plays on his own. He's making plays when he has to make plays in the pocket, on third down, in two-minute drill, when you don't, when you know you're not going to run the ball, when you know you're throwing the football. He's making great decisions. So now it's a real problem. He is beat, He's finding ways to beat teams. And teams are saying, okay, Derek Henry's not going to beat us. Tannehill has to do it. If he does it, then God bless you. Well, he's doing it. Now teams have to pick and choose and play situational football and guess, 
okay, in this situation, are they going to throw it or are they going to run it? What are they going to do? So it puts a lot of pressure, again, once again, on the defense to really think chess now instead of saying, okay, this is what they do. This is who they are. It becomes really predictable. And Arthur Smith is in a fantastic job yeah. of yeah. implementing all of the talent, all of the pieces that he has at his, at his disposal. So it's been remarkable to see that. All right, a couple more, man, and I'll let you go. Uh, I know you're a historian of the game. You love watching it. Mm -hmm. What other backs have impressed you so far this season? Wow. Oh, man. Um, goodness gracious. Uh, Ezekiel um, has, has struggling a bit. Um, I was, I would Ooh, say, like, yeah, you know what? Let, let, me, let me stop you right there. Yeah. I'm glad you see. See, I, I come in with my own questions, uh -huh. but then all of a sudden you bring that up. And it, obviously Ezekiel Elliott had some, some fumbleitis. He's had some fumble issues of recent. Have you ever had that in your career? How do you get out of that funk where, you know, something that, that's been so routine for you, you drop a couple on the ground. I know it affects you up top. But it does. It does. And defenses know it. Once that gets into a running back's head and, and you, you start to fumble, defenses will say, oh, he's a fumbler. And you <laughs> yeah. run, it changes, it changes your whole style. So mm -hmm. Ezekiel is cut from the cloth that we're from. He's going to attack defenders. He's going to be very aggressive and, and impose his will. Well, now it kind of changes because now a victory for you is just getting, you know, tackled and holding on to the football. You're not worried about picking up a first down. You're not thinking situational wow. football. You're just thinking about my first job is to protect the football. And if I get a one-yard gain or a two-yard gain, okay. Um, so he has to reset and refine and find his confidence. How, how long does that, that take, Eddie, though? How, how long does that take? It, listen, I fumbled, I fumbled twice against Illinois my freshman year, okay, okay. at the goal line. One went back 97 yards for a touchdown, which is mm -hmm. still a Big Ten record. The other one came at the end of the game and I lost the game against Illinois. And I didn't see the field again that year. And I didn't hardly saw, I saw, I barely saw the field again in my sophomore year. And I was known as a fumbler. And it changed my style, changed everything. So it took me a while to get over. Now I was granted, I was a younger player back then. Right. But since those fumbles, since those fumbles, I had five fumbles. And then that's early in my career. But since then, I had uh, six fumbles out of 635 carries since then. Only six. <laughs> so I say that to right. say it takes time. Mm. And you have to do it in practice. you got to, you know, in practice, you say, you tell the defense specifically, take the ball, strip the ball, go after the ball every time I come through the football when you're practicing. No yeah. matter what, when I'm coming back to the huddle, come back, check it, you know, come back and strip it. So now it's become a part of your DNA. You no longer have to think about it. You can right. do your thing. You're finding ways to, and Tiki Barber, uh, in fact, had an issue with that. He did. Maybe his career, he started running the football like this. Yep. And made it a part of, it looked crazy as hell. It, it did. But <laughs> he remember. had one of his best years doing it. I mean, yeah. who runs like this? <laughs> you know? I mean, who does that? Yeah. It, 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 it was different. It was stupid. <laughs> I mean, it does, but it was effective. Yes. It was effective. So it's one of those deals like when uh, with a three-point shooter, you know, misses his shots, you got you got to regain the confidence. I think Zeke will be back, but the pressure now is all on Zeke, both 
in the locker room, outside the locker room, to be a true leader, to lead this team out of this funk. Because they're going to have to lean on him uh, if they plan on being successful this year. All right, man. I got, I got to let you go. But I got one more for you. You've been so gracious with your time, man. Absolutely, I also man. totally appreciate it. But now the Big Ten returns this week, man. So I got to I got to get a little bit. What should I expect from the Ohio State Buckeyes this season? I would expect greatness. I mean, I would expect mm. them to run the table. I, I really honestly don't see a team that can contend with that. Um, they have everything that they need. They have the running game. They have the offensive line. They certainly have Justin Fields, quarterback. This might be the best group of receivers that this that our school has ever seen. Wow. Uh, the defense um, seems to be locked and loaded. And this team is playing with a chip on their shoulder. You know, after what happened against Clemson last year, they, they yeah. have been itching to get back on the field. And the fact that they weren't going to play a half a season, uh, now they're going to have a season, and 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 now they have an opportunity to, for over eight games to show what they can do, they're going to come out hungry, and the sense of urgency is going to be there. And Ryan Day is the perfect leader, the head coach, Ryan Day is the perfect leader to navigate this whole ordeal. So I expect uh, – for them to run the table. I don't see them having any mental lapses or any hiccup games. You know, if anything, Kirk, this, this COVID thing, what it's done for football and college football and sports in general, it's really taking away the fat off of the season. We're getting yes. down to the nitty gritty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every week counts. You're yep. getting a prime time match of every week and there is no room for error, you know? Yeah. So I, I love, I love the fact that, Hey, we can watch college football well beyond Thanksgiving, meaning for football yeah. going into January and so forth. So it should be exciting. Eddie, man, I, I appreciate the time. I appreciate, as always, just uh, everything about you, man. You know, I love listening to you talk football, man, and, and great to call you a friend. So uh, the College Football Hall of Famer, the Ohio State great, the Texans Oilers ring of honor as well, man. Yeah. So many accolades and just want to thank you again, Eddie. Appreciate the time, man. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Kurt. Hey everybody. This is Fran Frischella, host of the podcast world of basketball. The game of basketball has truly become a global game. Markovic fires it into Mickey and somehow it goes in. Each week I talk with the players, coaches, and executives who have led the way in growing the game of basketball around the world. Real Madrid has stolen from the jaws of defeat. Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. I honestly feel like, like I do this every single week, and I feel like I'm not giving defenses credit. Why, why, why am I not doing that? I need to start giving defenses credit, especially a defense like last week's, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, I don't know how many Tampa Bay Buccaneers football games that you guys have watched. I know for me, I've watched a couple, but I haven't watched them with a focused eye on what they're doing defensively, right? Their defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, former head coach of the New York Jets. Look, he's he's an outstanding coach. I wish he would have got a better opportunity with the Jets. They just couldn't figure some things out. But he reunites with, with Bruce Arians, the head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And people forget just how good of a coordinator Todd Bowles is. He's very aggressive. 
He will come after you. He will play coverage. He will stop the run. And I think last year we saw it. We saw some of this defense, but it was still young. They had a couple of veterans in in place, and they brought in some this year as well. But it was still a defense that we were trying to figure out. And man, I'll tell you, they had probably one of their best performances last week as that defense held Aaron Rodgers to 10 points. And it wasn't like it was 10 points throughout the game. It was 10 points in the first quarter. And we never heard from Aaron Rodgers and that offense of the Green Bay Packers ever again. I mean, the rest of the game, it was just dominant. Their defense, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense finished 13 quarterback hits, five sacks and two touchdowns. Can you believe that? Intercepting. Okay, Aaron Rodgers. And the one thing that I saw this week was that it was Aaron Rodgers for the first time that actually looked like he got fooled, that he did not make the play. It wasn't something that normally, you know, Aaron Rodgers uh, can look at a wide receiver, which he does from time to time and say, hey, guy, you ran the wrong route or, hey, we got to be on the same page. They were blitzing. You got to run a hot route. That wasn't the case here. This was basically, um, you know, even with Devontae Adams back, okay, for the Green Bay Packers. It was just a great defensive game plan. They allowed pretty much everything to be in front of them. They let all the receivers, they just wanted to stay on top. The secondary for the Buccaneers did. Because Todd Bowles, he didn't press, he pressured on third down, but I thought it was what he did on first and second down. He was mixing it up. He brought four man, okay? Then he would bring an extra to defender, like a fifth man. And then they, he mixed it up and then he brought six man pressure. And it was just seems that the entire game, Aaron Rodgers just seemed a bit confused. Or I think what happens is when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers who can read the blitz and see the blitz and know where he wants to go with the football, it was the speed of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that got to him before he can get the ball off. He was sacked numerous times. And a lot of it was just because the rush was able to get there and they would show different looks. Look, Ndamukong Sue had only one sack in the game, but he was all over Aaron Rodgers. And I'll tell you this, that's one of the reasons I think Aaron Rodgers was a little bit skittish. It was because he had a dirty pocket. I had a defensive coordinator when I was in the league always would tell me, look, you can turn a Hall of Famer into an average Joe just by doing what? Dirtying up the pocket making sure that he doesn't have room to move or uh, and launch point for him to throw the football. And that's what Tampa Bay was able to do throughout the game. They were able to just dominate him and get him to the ground. They hit him hard. And I think what happens too is that I knew Devontae Adams was a guy who they were going to try to rely on and get the big play. But I just thought that the aggressiveness by the corners of Tampa Bay not worried about the deep ball. They sat on everything underneath. Like that Jamil Dean interception, the first one that he returned for a touchdown, he read that from the way. He was just reading Aaron Rodgers' eyes. And I think that's what happens when you have pressure. Aaron Rodgers is also one of the great quarterbacks who can look off and then come back because he knows where he wants to go with the football. For some reason, he was locked in on his receivers. He was locked in with his eyes. And look, and if I'm a defender, I see the quarterback staring at my receiver or the guy who I'm covering. I'm going to go and tend to trail to that side. 
And that's where the cornerbacks decided to look. They were all over everything, the underneath routes as well. And so I think that performance by the defense you saw was a collective effort, right? Devin White, middle linebacker, they drafted last year out of LSU in the first round. He had 10 tackles and a sack, but I think it was what he was able to do against the running backs. Jamal Williams, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, sorry, uh, Aaron Jones, I should say, they couldn't block him. So as you send an extra player or an extra defender blitzing, they did not have the answer in terms of blocking. And that's where Todd Bowles kept sending those two linebackers, Levante David, who had a couple of tackles in the game uh, and a sack. And, and then the same thing with uh, uh, Devin White. They both were just adding to the blitz. Sometimes people think that a blitz is when everybody just decides to go after the quarterback or, you know, you're taught to, to you know, come off the line of scrimmage. But what they were doing was blitzing to cover. So blitzing to cover is where everybody has man to man defense. Everybody's got somebody. Everybody's got a, you know, one guy's got a tight end. Another guy's got a receiver. Another guy's got a receiver. And then a linebacker takes the running back. Trust me, it's a coverage I love playing. But when you have the running back in coverage, you want to give the illusion as if you're blitzing because you want the running back to say, oh, I have him if he blitzes. But you're not really blitzing. You're just trying to show the illusion to keep the running back in the backfield. Now, there's some teams who don't care and they they, you know, basically they will send the running back out even in a blitz which will then now mess up a, a running, I mean, a linebacker, which happens to me, happened to me throughout my career a couple of times. It was always tough, but you had to play that cat and mouse game. And in the cat and mouse game, because they were blitzing so effectively, they kept the running back in. And then obviously, you know, the linebackers who had them in coverage were just hitting uh, and getting right past uh, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. So that was also what I think contributed to Aaron Rodgers having such a bad day was just because he never really was comfortable. He never got comfortable, never was able to set his feet. And I think it was just the impact players too, as well, that people have kind of forgotten about Jason Pierre-Paul. JPP had a sack and a half and he was a menace. He was a disruptor. He was coming off the edge and doing things in which, you know, people forget that he was one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL while he was with the New York Giants. And so now in coming back and, and, and playing in a defense, I think that suits his skill set opposite another guy in Shaquille Barrett, by the way, who set the Tampa Bay Buccaneers single season sack record last year. <laughs> Think about that. So this defense for Tampa Bay, if you didn't know, now you know. They did it against Aaron Rodgers. I can only imagine where this defense can go from here. Just an outstanding performance by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And that's what led them to 38. I'll, I'll repeat that. <clears throat> 38 unanswered points against the Green Bay Packers. That's how winning is done. Yeah, it seems like every week also here on the Total Coverage Podcast, um, wide receiver play seems to come up <laughs> every single week. Uh, look, I'm always big on receivers, especially when they have big performances, because I do think that they can change games. Running backs change games, like we've talked about earlier with Eddie. But I think the wide receiver position, if you're able to get the big play from a wide receiver, 
it demoralizes a defense, right? It, it really does. And last week's performance by a guy who I don't care. Look, if he's healthy, if he's on the field, he is the best wide receiver in the NFL, hands down. I, and I've thought this the last five years since he has been, you know, to me, the, the upper echelon elite guy, it's Julio Jones. And if you didn't think he was the best receiver in the NFL, take a look at the offense of the Atlanta Falcons when he's out versus when he's in. That offense was without Julio Jones the last couple weeks. Well, he was back this past weekend. And you talk about one person being the guy, the, the guy who can, what to say, the, the spoon to stir the drink. He is that, right? There, that, that offense is just, just is flat. Sometimes Julio Jones is out there. He is that, that, that sweetener. He is what you need. And last week, watching him against the Minnesota Vikings, it just proved to me the confidence, not only that his quarterback has when he's out there and Matt Ryan, but Julio Jones is unstoppable at times. And for some reason, I get frustrated at why don't they just throw him the football every time? I mean, seriously. His performance last week, he had 137 yards, two touchdowns. And the thing is, I felt like he left meat on the bone. There was still more left out there for Julio Jones. Can you believe this? And this was a great stat you get from watching the games, right? You know, I get a chance to watch the games. I sit back and, and I'm watching the film, you know, after the game is over. Julio Jones, Matt Ryan, combined receptions, 804 after the game. 804, only trailing Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison for the greatest you know, quarterback wide receiver connection in NFL history. You mean to tell me they've connected 804 times? Yes, your offense is going to look better if those two guys are on the field at the same time. That's Julio Jones. That's what he's able to do. And look, in this game, they lined him up strictly outside. It was Julio doing his thing on the outside and they were getting man to man coverage on the outside. See, Mike Zimmer's defense, they would blitz on third down, but first and second down, they they didn't blitz a lot. They kind of played just coverage. And if you're going to play just coverage with Julio, that's too easy. That's stealing candy. I mean, it's always stealing candy from a baby. Matt Ryan was hitting those out routes and those, you know, those in cut routes. And then when the Minnesota Vikings would show their blitz look, Matt Ryan does what? He audibles. He sees that. Okay, I got a blitz here. Okay, you know what? I'm going to throw to Julio Jones on a quick screen and allow my big receiver to make one guy miss. Because remember, when you're blitzing and you're when you're blitzing, a lot of times you're a man to man. You get great blocking. You're asking Julio just to make one guy miss. He does that, and then it's off to the races for a big, big play. His performance, to me, ignited that offense because now you're starting to get Calvin Ridley going again, who had a big game. Then you've got Russell Gage, another big play wide receiver. And all of these guys, don't forget the tight end, Hayden Hurst. One person in Julio Jones results, I mean, just coming back, gives big results to the entire offense. Everyone had a piece in this victory, right? Brian Hill, the running back. Todd Gurley had some carries. The offense looked totally different. They scored 40 points. 
and they won. Look, even the defense plays a little bit better, right? I mean, they got out to a 17-0 start at the half, and a lot of it was just because Julio Jones was on the field and he was dominant. And there was a play within the game as well where he's lined up as the outside receiver, two-by-two set, and it's a third and, I believe, four or five. Julio runs the underneath. They call it a shallow cross, okay? The shallow cross comes underneath, and it was great to watch Julio Jones' eye progression. His eye progression went from where he was lined up at, and as he starts his route, basically going from one side to the other, you could see him look at the first down marker. He was staring at the first down marker, knowing where he had to get. And as he started to run his route and adjust his route to get past the sticks, he finally looks at his quarterback. And when Matt Ryan delivers the ball, it's a catch. And he doesn't have to turn up for a first down. He had already ran the route at first down depth. It's those types of things that are small, but yet they are so huge in a game because you keep the chains moving. But at the same time, it's it's you're not fighting for the extra yard when you don't need to because he got the work done before the play sort of even started by being aware of where the first down marker was. So it was a great job by Julio. And now that Julio is playing this way, the offense is going to look better. Like, why is it going to look better? Because that guy, number 11, is on the field. I have to double Julio Jones. And when you double Julio Jones, that's going to leave some single coverage for Calvin Ridley or Russell Gage, Hayden Hurst, the tight end. Those types of things happen because Julio is on the field. And there's this in vogue play of, I won't call it of the year, but I just, it, it's funny when you see it three or four times in a weekend. And it's a actual play in which you have. You know, basically a two by two set. All right. Two receivers, one side, two receivers on the other side. They're in kind of close proximity to, you know, the offensive line, but they have enough enough width. Right. Running backs in the backfield. There's one receiver who will motion. Okay, he will motion across just to see how the defense adjusts. And as that motion, they grow across the formation, they immediately put a foot in the ground and sprint back to the side in which they came from. Now, quarterbacks have hiked the football and thrown the little, are we calling it a push pass, everybody? Like, tell me, like, it's like a push pass. Literally, it's almost like a handoff, but yet they're pushing the ball forward and they're calling it a pass, which to me is like a, it's like a bootleg handoff. But anyway, it's like a game of hot potato. They just kind of drop the ball, you know, receiver pick, they grabs it out of the air and it says, oh, it's a pass. But we're seeing that play over and over again. I saw with the 49ers and Debo Samuel. They did that same play. He rushed it in for a touchdown. Robert Woods of the Rams, he's done that plenty of times so far this year. And then Monday night football, we saw Kyler Murray to Christian Kirk. Same play. They motion. He hits the, he turns around immediately and motions back. Ball snap. Balls, you know, basically push to you and they run to the corner for a touchdown. Calvin Ridley had the same exact play and it works when you have a guy like Julio Jones, because when you break the huddle, all attention goes to number 11. Where is Julio Jones lined up? And then all of a sudden you got this other receiver who's kind of going in motion, but we're worried about doubling Julio 
And yet, all of a sudden, Calvin Ridley, the ball snapped. Here's a little quick push pass. And he runs it in for a touchdown like Atlanta did last week. So, yes, there's so many ways that guys like Julio Jones can take care of business just by being on the field and grabbing all the attention. This is how I win. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining the Total Coverage Podcast today. Special thanks again, man. Eddie George representing big time early. Just talking about the running back position. I feel like I can play running back. Nah, let me stop. I won't even think about that. I'm a linebacker. I'm a defensive guy, man. But uh, but special shout out again to Eddie George and to the great performances of week six. Now we get right into week seven. And guess what? We got more football, man. I can't even wait. Thursday and Sunday and then Monday. I kind of like these little Monday doubleheaders, though. I don't know how, what you guys think about the Monday doubleheaders. Trust me, I liked it. It was great. Two o'clock football on the West Coast, and then a five o'clock game. Man, it was basically almost six, seven hours of continuous football on a Monday night. So my day was definitely busy. But again, I want to thank you for listening. You can find the podcast on the SiriusXM app. Apple Podcasts. Make sure you find wherever your pod, you go get your podcast. Look up Total Coverage, subscribe, rate, and then also hit me up at Kirk Morrison Twitter at Kirk Morrison on Instagram, Facebook. Find me. Let me know what you think, what you want to talk about, or maybe we could just talk about something else as well. Not just always about football. Maybe it's your players. I do fantasy as well, but we could do it all here on the Total Coverage Podcast. Appreciate the time as always. Until next week, everybody. Good football, y'all.